I just thank you uh, and praise you. And I just pray now that your, um, your message comes through me today. That it uh, does so in such a way that the people get it. That I can make your word plain. So just bless this time. Um, let your word shine through any stumblings that I might have in trying to communicate it. So I just uh, thank you and give you praise and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the topic for the uh, message today is this idea of new life in Christ. And so I was trying to think of a title, you know, for the message. And, you know, it's a subject that probably isn't preached often enough because in many cases it tends to be a surprise to people. You know, because as we've said in the previous weeks, so often people are, are living off that my sins are forgiven part of the equation. Right? They're happy to be there, but after a while that doesn't quite get to it. Um, but we want to be able to sort of move past that into this idea of the new life we have in Christ. So I'm thinking about, okay, we have new life, new life in Christ, and I'm going through all this. And, and you know I have a fondness for movies. And, you know, and movies and music, really. And so you find that if you kind of pay attention, a lot of my sermon titles either play off of movies or music, one way or the other. You know, lyrics that I've heard. And, and, and this is also just, this is sort of a testimony, I guess, to my general weirdness and the way I think about things. So I'm thinking about this title. All right, you have your life. You have. And, and the thought that comes to my mind is a movie line from a movie that I'm sure you've all seen. And the movie line, all of a sudden, the thought in my head was, Lieutenant Dan, you got new legs. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, you got new life. Perfect. And so, um, so that's where the title came from. And then I started to think just a little bit more about some of the, that movie has so many memorable lines in it. It's kind of like, you know, we, we were on Monty Python a couple of weeks ago, which has an equal number. But, um, you know, there's so many, so many lines in there that, that sort of have become ingrained in our culture that, you know, we think about a lot, you know, like... Um, my mama always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> and then, um, stupid is as stupid does. And of course, run, forest, run. Every, you know, that's said all the time. And so I'm looking and thinking about some of these, you know, these really quotable lines. And then I ran across one that I thought was particularly appropriate for today. And it's probably not one that you would remember right away. Because it wasn't one that really came to my mind. But I think it's a, it's a, a terrific line. And it's one that was said by uh, Forrest's mom, who was played by Sally Field in the movie. And she said to him, you have to do the best with what God gave you. And I thought that was so profound because... We think a lot about the things that God has given us. And maybe we don't often think enough about this gift of new life. 
we don't think about this new life in Jesus that we have as a gift that we've been given. And so I want to begin um, our discussion today of this new life um, just by reviewing a little bit where we've been. So it was about two weeks ago that we started to talk about this idea that there's two sides. It's supposed to be blank. You don't have to look at me like that. <laughs> My wife is looking at me like there's nothing on the screen. There's not supposed to be. <clears throat> All right, so we've cleared that up. So two weeks ago, we saw that there's two sides uh, to the cross. We talked about the blood side and the body side, okay? And on the blood side, we said that was the side where we, we think about that Jesus died for our sins, okay? Through his death, we obtain forgiveness, all right? And then on the body side of the cross, and again, I'm not going to put the line up there. We've, I think we've talked about it enough, but the idea that there are these two realms. There's the unseen realm and the seen realm, spirit and physical, okay? And on that, in that unseen and eternal realm, we experienced in our spirit what Jesus experienced, which was we died with him and were raised with him. Okay, And so for that week, and I believe it was last week, we talked mostly about this idea of the death aspect, how we have died with Christ, how our old man has died. He's dead and buried. We're dead to sin, we're dead to the law, and we're dead to ourselves as our point of reference. That's what we talked about last week, those three things. We've died to all of those things. And this is really just, it's a foundational truth of the Christian life, okay? But the problem is, despite the fact that it is a foundational truth, if that's all we ever emphasize, is this idea that our old man died, then we're never going to see what God's purpose was in resurrecting us out of that death into life. You know, we could stand at the tomb all day and celebrate our death. And, but if we do that, we're never going to get on to the life that is supposed to be there. And, and Paul really emphasized both aspects of this in a couple of places in Romans 6. And in one, he says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then a little bit further down in verse 11, he says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so God raised this new man from the dead and birthed in us this entirely new spirit who was holy and righteous so that he could unite himself with our spirit and live through us. And the thing is that, as is the case with so much of the New Testament, this is actually foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And, um, in fact, God basically painted a billboard-sized picture of this. And it's called Passover. Now, you may be familiar with the story, but just to recap, 
In Exodus 12, before God sent the angel of death uh, to kill all of the firstborn of Egypt, which was the last of the ten plagues that were sent uh, to try to get the uh, Israelites freed from Pharaoh's captivity. So what he did was he told the Hebrews to set apart a lamb from the flock, to kill it, and to smear the blood on the doorposts of their dwellings. All right? And so when the angel of death came and he saw that this blood was on the doorpost, he would pass over those homes, those houses, and spare the firstborn who was inside. And so all they had to do was to make sure that they apply the blood to the doorpost so that this would happen. And that part of the Passover really, tell, really kind of foretells this idea of the blood side of the cross, right? The lamb died for the whole household. The household didn't participate in the lamb's death. The lamb died for them. And so when they applied its blood to their doorposts, they escaped the wrath of God that then came upon the lamb, on the land, and their firstborn son was spared. And so, you know, the parallel to this is fairly obvious. Christ died for us. His, he shed his blood as a payment for our sins, which was a satisfaction for the righteous judgment of God that we should ultimately get. And so when we, by faith, apply Jesus' blood, which was his death, to our lives, we are then spared the wrath of God upon us. Our sins are forgiven. But I think there's something else in the Passover story. And I think it's something we miss a lot of the time. So when the children of Israel were in captivity under Pharaoh, what country were they in? Egypt. All right. And so then, after they put the blood on the doorposts of their houses and the angel of death passed over them and their firstborn son was spared, what country were they in? Egypt, right. So check this out. As long as our revelation knowledge is limited to the blood side of the cross, we may still have our firstborn, that is, in our case, our sins were forgiven, but experientially, we continue to live in captivity. We're still living as if we were subject to the capriciousness of the pharaohs in our life. We're living in bondage. We're still carnal Christians striving to overcome by our own effort and trying to be spiritual. Now, we've said it over and over again. It's great to have your sins forgiven. But after a while, living as if we are still captives takes some of the glamour off being forgiven. And see, God had a solution to the problem that the Hebrews had in their captivity. And the solution was to provide them with the sustenance or the life to get them out of Egypt. So what did he do? He instructed each household, after they had smeared the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, to roast the lamb and eat it as nourishment for the upcoming journey. That's the body side of the cross. You take the lamb of Jesus into us. 
God is showing us here that the lamb they used for blood on the door was the same lamb that they ate for the journey. In other words, everything necessary for living the life comes from the lamb. It isn't that the lamb dies for you and then you're sent out over the course of your own to do the best you can for the rest of your life with God's help in uh, some. That's not it. The lamb is the total answer. The lamb that gave his blood for them also gave his life to them. They took its meat into them and that became the nourishment, the strength, and the vitality for their journey. They lived their life out of the lamb's life. They walked in its energy. They killed one lamb for two purposes. For the Passover and for the journey. Now interestingly, Paul calls the New Testament life a journey. And what is the sustenance, the life of that journey? It isn't us trying to walk for God. And isn't that what we do so much of the time? It may not look like it on the outside, but we have taken the Lamb of God into us. He's not only the forgiveness of our sins, he's also the life within us from whom we are able to make the journey. One cross fulfills both purposes. One lamb fulfilled both purposes. God says, take the blood, put it on your door. Take the meat, put it in your body. Put the life in you. And unless you put the life in you, you will always be operating in the realm of captivity. When you put the life in you, you're finally ready to live. You will finally be ready to start the journey. You know, we can walk around for years with this sense of forgiveness, but no sense of life. We have it in us. We just don't know it. And so then we try to generate it ourselves. Haven't you done that? You know, there's some mornings you wake up and you think, I am super Christian today. I have got it. I will sin no more. And there are other days you wake up and you feel like you are sin itself. So, you can see that neither of those things are true. We're doomed to failure because it's impossible for us to generate the life. God is telling us, I will share my glory with no man. Only I can give my life, but I will impart life to you. I will give you the life and I will live it through you. That's why there isn't anything beyond the grace of God completely understood. And we remember what that means, right? That means... 
that we don't go to this whole idea of I can, I have, I get more grace when I sin, so I can just keep sinning, so I get more grace. That's really not, remember Paul, it's not what Paul's talking about. He says, perish the thought if that's the way you're approaching this, right? So he's very clear about that idea that we can't just go out and do anything we want. But what he is saying is that all you're ever going to need for life is in the cross. It's in both sides of the cross. He wrote this. This is from Romans. Yes, it needs the sound effects. Oops, that's not it. There we go. Romans 5.10 For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we're saved not just by Jesus' death, but also by his life. See, that's true eternally, above the line, but it's also true in the here and now. Because we're saved by the life of Christ that lives in us. Now there's a story in John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds 5,000, actually more, but 5,000 men as well as women and children from just five loaves and two fish. Probably heard that story in Sunday school. And then he leaves. Does this amazing thing and then he just leaves. And so the crowd tracks him down and they want more. He tells them basically you didn't see the miracle in the miracle. You saw in this physical world the multiplication of bread and fish. But you missed the unseen part of this. The fact that he was the unseen part of the miracle. He's not just a bread producer. Jesus is a life giver. And then later on in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now this disgusted those who were hearing him. They thought, well, this is, this is really disgusting. What's he talking about? Eating his flesh. What he was trying to tell them is, he's saying, I am all that a person needs for living the life. It isn't me plus something. It isn't me plus your prayer life. It isn't me plus your Bible study. It isn't me plus the good service or the works that you do. It isn't me plus the sum of everything else in your life. Because you, by yourself, will never produce a life that will please me. I, Jesus, am the only life that pleases me, Jesus. He was just telling the Jews, you're doing all these external things, but there's no life in that. 
The opposite of life is what? Death. And if we're not operating out of life, what are we operating out of? But see, the thing is, it doesn't really look like death because a lot of times death will get you some results. Operating out of that, we can do church programs and we can get results. You can do personal Bible studies or prayer and you can get results from that. We're getting results in the scene in the temporal realm. But Jesus said something about that. He had a word for that. What he said was, there's your reward. You're getting your real results. So there's your reward. Go on ahead with it. But it isn't of me. It isn't my life flowing through you. And see, Paul revealed the secret of the life of Christ in us. To the Galatians, he said, I live, but no, I don't. Christ lives in me. It looks like me, but it's really not. It's Jesus. And then to the Colossians, he wrote, it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And then to the, to the Philippians, he said, for me to live is Christ. Who was doing the living? Christ. Who did it look like? Paul. And he further illustrates this in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where he says, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. God's making his plea through them. The words and the works came from Paul and from those who followed him. But Paul knew he wasn't the one who was working up this concern for the Gentiles. Remember his past? Was not exactly a fan. He wasn't really a fan of Christians either. And so he understood that it was God in him that was making that appeal. It looked like Paul, but it was the indwelling Jesus. So the question that ought to be burning through your brain right now is, well, what does that look like? What does the life of God living through me look like? There's a book for that. You really don't have to look any further than the gospel. Hold my breath. No. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever thought about that and kind of wondered, well, what does he mean, learn from me? Well, really, all you have to do is look through the Gospel of John and you would find the answer. Because he makes these statements over and over again. He says things like, 
I don't do anything of myself. Or he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Or he says, I only speak what I hear from the Father. Or he says, the works that I do, well, they're not my works. They're the Father's works who dwells in me. And so I think when Jesus said, learn from me, what he meant was for us to learn from how he lived, just as it's written in here. Well, and how did he live? Well, he lived out of the Father. He didn't really have any other secret that I can find. There's an author named Gene Edwards who said, Jesus Christ never tried to live a Christian life. <laughs> he didn't go home and read his Bible. There wasn't one. He didn't go to a prayer group twice a week. He just let the Father live his life through him. Now again, hear me correctly. I'm not saying those things are not good things to do. But I'm just saying Jesus didn't do those. I mean, he, he lived this life. This was not something he did. It was just part of him that flowed out of him. He learned how to live out of the resources of the Father which are not of this realm. And he could, you know, if he wanted to, he probably could have phrased it as if he said, the Father is my life. And everything he said kind of flows out of that. We could summarize it sort of by saying, well, what you see when you look at me is the Father as me. He and the Father were one. The Father lived through him as him. And Jesus was at rest with that. But it infuriated the Jews because they thought he was blasphemous. What? You, you're saying you're God. Well, he was. <laughs> but what he's telling us is that the very same thing is available to us. Just as the life of the Son was the Father, the life of the Son's daughters is the son so how do you learn how do you live this life will you learn to live it out of the son and the father and if you're going to do that if you're going to learn to live this life out of the son and the father then you have to know where the son and the father live in you it's a miracle it's amazing you can't fully explain it. But you can see it in Jesus' life. And like I've said before, what typically happens is after someone's sins are forgiven and they, they are on this euphoric high for some period of time because that's just such an amazing thing to have happened. And then somehow, one way or another, we always kind of, kind of come down to this, uh, the same idea. It's like, okay, how do I live this life? I'm sort of past the high. We're back, you know, sort of descriptive of uh, um, the Christian life is a lot about mountains and valleys, right? You know, we get up on a mountain. Well, obviously, having your, understanding that your sins are forgiven is a mountaintop experience. 
But sooner or later, you're going to end up back in the valley. I just pretty well guarantee it. If you aren't there, you haven't ever been there, I hate to be the one to break this to you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, but the valley is going to come. And at that point, then you're going to start to ask this question, well, how do I live the life? How do I do this? And see, the, the answer that you finally have to come to is, you don't. Because you can't. You can't. Because if we think that, we're right back to thinking of ourselves as our own point of origin. But see, we can't produce this life out of us. You can't bring the uncreated out of the creation. How are you going to do that? And see, as long as you see yourself as the source of life, you're going to keep trying. And then finally, hopefully, one day, Jesus finally impresses it upon your spirit. Psst. I am your life. I'm the only life that's acceptable to the Father. I not only want to forgive you, I want to live my life through you. I want to be your life. In Romans 6.10, Paul says, For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So, the life that Jesus lives, he lives to God. Yes? And where is Jesus? In us? Yes? And so if Jesus is in us, we've just said that Jesus naturally lives his life to God. He only lives his life to God. That means we don't have to try to live our life for God. He lives it in us. And if we know that the dead, the, the old man, is dead and out of the way, then we can rest assured that the new person that is in us is going to live for the glory of God. Jesus said it pretty clearly. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's who lives in us. His only desire and his only will is to do the will of his Father. He lives in you and he lives in me. And he will do it. And see, if you can get a hold of this, if you can get this revelation then it frees you from constantly trying to be something that you were never intended to be. See, it's really easy to be natural. It's hard to be unnatural. I've said this, you know, a number of times. I could get up here and attempt to preach as T.D. Jakes preaches. <laughs> it would be ugly. <laughs> I don't have that in me. He has a particular anointing for a particular style of preaching, 
that I don't have. And where I try to copy him, it would come across as artificial and unnatural. And it would require a lot of effort on my part, and I'd probably lose my voice. And so this idea of trying to, to produce something that's not in you, to be unnatural, you know, what, what's the result of that? Well, typically it's frustration, it's anger, it even might lead into desperation. And then finally, you just want to give up. You know, I, I'm sure, I don't have any statistics, but I would be willing to bet there's any number of people who were sort of like the disciples. You know, when you know, Jesus saw these people leaving him, and he said, well, do you guys want to leave too? I mean, that's kind of the point for a lot of us as Christians where we say, I'm just, th this is not working for me. I'm just giving this up. I'm just not going to do this anymore. And then you realize that you, what you end up saying is the same thing the disciples said. Lord, we have nowhere else to go. I know this is truth. I have nowhere else to go but to truth. The point is we're not meant to operate unnaturally. But if you know who you are and you know who the life is and you know where the life is, then you can just be yourself and let Jesus live through you. Because I think nobody really has trouble being themselves. Now, you may be on the verge of, a, of kind of an, oh, I see moment concerning this. I see now how to live the life. I just let him live it. Well, if so, then I want to encourage you to truly reckon yourself dead. The old you is dead. You can count on it. You reckon yourself dead, and then you reckon yourself alive to God in Jesus. Because he's the one in you that will live to God. You have to count on him to do it, moment by moment. And it's all by faith. By faith, you reckon yourself dead as your own point of reference. And so you stop looking at yourself, and you stop looking at your performance. You are holy and blameless in God's sight. Christ in you is your point of reference. He is always sufficient, always loving, always living unto the Father. It's not your striving that releases Christ's life in you. It's your trusting. And so all you have to do it's just, you know, pray a prayer something like this. Lord, your Holy Spirit is showing me this truth. And so I embrace it by faith, just like I embrace Jesus for me by faith and then experience forgiveness of my sins. I now embrace Jesus in me as my life. Teach me and convince me of this truth by the Holy Spirit so that I won't be captive any longer to trying to produce the life myself.
See, what's good news to us now isn't just that Christ died for us, even though that is good news. It isn't just that he's with us, but that's good news too. And it isn't just that he's in us, helping us, though that's pretty good news too. The really good news is that he is in us, living his life as us. His spirit and our spirit are joined together. And in the unseen and the eternal realm, there is deity inside of us. We are not the deity. Make that clear. But we are containers of the deity. This well of eternal life is springing up within us. And that life is adequate. That life is sufficient. That life is never exhausted. It never tires and it never tastes bitter. That life is always light. It always has mercy. It always has a second chance in it. It always carries God's forgiveness towards others. And it's always with love. And when we finally recognize this, suddenly all the oughts and the musts and the shouldas of this frenetic life that Satan has immersed us in suddenly become just the be still and be of God's life. The be still and be of his eternal presence. And a dramatic change in our point of reference results. You see, Satan's invitation to humanity was you become And so when we start playing this game of must and ought, we're in the spotlight. Our performance is center stage. But if our point of reference is now the indwelling Jesus, then he has no part in that separation that's implied by must and ought. He lives in our inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, where all simply is. And we're invited just to let that be and to let him come forth. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Which is the Forrest Gump version of Amen. <laughs>